0: As a family. Ephesians chapter 2 is our text this morning, verses 1 through 10. And then after that, um, you don't have to turn there with me, but I'll read a, uh, Romans uh, chapter 1, verse 16. Ephesians 2 Hear the word of the Lord. And you were dead in the trespasses and the sins in which you once walked. and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. Not a result of work so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And then Romans 1 verses 16 through 17, Paul writes, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. May God bless this word. You can be seated at this time. Good morning, church. How you doing? You Good? As always, it is wonderful to be with you. It's wonderful to open the Word of God and to to see what God is going to do in our lives through it. And I was thinking about this week uh, as we begin a new series called Brave. And from the time that we are little kids, we are taught that we need to follow the rules. Uh, You know, maybe if you were to sum up what parenting is, it is teaching your children to follow the rules, to do what they're told, to obey, to not be disobedient, to not cause a ruckus, but to be obedient children who follow the rules set before them. However, most of you, like myself, were also taught by your parents, um, and even by, I guess, to some degree, by society in general, that there are moments where you need to break the rules, that there are moments when there are rules that are laid before you and expectations that are laid before you that you should not keep. And the only time that we are ever called to be disobedient is when the authority over us or the culture over us is different than that what God has called us to do or what God has called us to be. There are moments when we do need to break the rules and these moments take bravery We've entitled the next four weeks Brave because I'm about to ask you to break the rules, all right? You're you're probably getting pretty intrigued right now, right? I'm going to ask you to break the rules. You don't usually show up and the pastor's like start breaking the rules. It's probably not what you're used to hearing. But I'm going to ask you to break a very widely held cultural rule in our world today. I'm going to ask you to break a very common rule that I guarantee you when I tell you what it is, you're going to relate with it because we all face it. And yet this rule stands in contrast to what the God of the universe has called you to do with your life. There is a a rule in society and culture that is laid before us that is in contrast to God's will for your life and for my life. And the rule that I'm going to call you to break is a big one. It's an important rule in our world and in our culture today. And I would even argue that this rule I'm going to call you to break is one of the most celebrated rules in our culture and in our city today. And I'm going to be honest. When you break this rule, when you disobey, when you rebel against this rule that I'm going to tell you to rebel against, there there will be some backlash in your life. There will be some backlash. It may even get you in a little trouble from time to time. I know we often try to dress up the Christian life like it's, we're supposed to be like a choir boy who, who never gets in trouble and it's kind of easy. But have you ever read the disciples? You ever read about Paul? The guy who was murdered for his faith? The rule I'm going to call you to break I guarantee you there will be people in your life that won't like it when you break this rule. There will be people who tell you you need to learn your place in this world. And you need to conform to the patterns of our culture. There will be people that whenever you break this rule, they will make fun of you. And they will think that you are a weird person. So I guess I might as well begin to tell you what the rule is that I'm calling you to break, right? Because that's kind of what you're pretty interested in, I could imagine. The rule in our culture that I'm calling you to break, that I think the church, by God's sovereignty, must break in, in our daily lives, is this cultural rule that says we should not talk about spiritual, religious, or important matters. That we are not to talk about spiritual, religious, important matters, matters of life and death. You know that there is this ag- an agreement in our world that, that we don't talk about God, right? Think about it, no one talks about God, right? You don't talk about God at your work. Netflix doesn't talk about God a lot. Not a lot of God documentaries on Netflix that are at least worth watching. You don't hear about God on the, on the media or in the news, unless it's like a random segment about a random thing because it will get them viewers to tune in. We don't seem to talk about God a lot, And yet in a world of cowards, I am calling you to be brave. In a world of cowards, I'm calling you to be brave. Not to be annoying, not to be pushy, but to literally engage the world around you with the power of the gospel. You see, the world around us has given up in a lot of ways. We're coming out of a time that many refer to as postmodernism. Supposedly, now we're like in post postmodernism, right? I'm not exactly sure what that means exactly. But postmodernism was this moment in human history, quickly after modernism, where the world became disillusioned after all this seemingly human progress ended in a century full of wars and brokenness and greater poverty than the world had ever seen. You see, science didn't fix the problem. Humans were still evil. We just kind of ramped it up in the things that we could do. And so we've entered into a world where, in a lot of ways, I think people have just kind of given up. And so we don't talk about important matters much anymore. We talk about sports, which I love. I love sports, right? We talk about the weather, which there's only four options when it comes to weather. It's either hot, cold, rainy, or not rainy, right? Right? But we talk about it so much. I'm a new parent, and so we talk about how long did your baby sleep through the night? How many, day, how many times a day is she pooping now? I'm so interested. We talk about our jobs and our haircuts and our foods. But why is no one talking about life and death issues, eternal matters, or the meaning of life? why don't we touch those subjects and, and even as christians and even my i ask why why don't i go there more often And i think what often happens is if we're if we're kind of honest and i'm a pastor so you're not alone in this i, I feel like we get ashamed of the gospel or we get apathetic about the gospel because we feel kind of shell-shocked in our world where it seems like Christianity has receded to a place and we're not sure what the future quite holds. And so we are also at risk of just fading into the oblivion of meaninglessness and not quite knowing what the purpose of life is or what we're doing or if there's a God who even really loves us. And yet our key verse for this series is going to be Romans chapter 1 verse 16 where Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also the Greek. Paul says, I'm not ashamed. Why does he say that? I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Why? Why does he say that? Why does he say it that way? When he's writing to this church, why does he say that? I can only think of maybe two reasons. Number one, there are people who think he should be ashamed of the gospel. There are people who think that he he shouldn't be proud of it. Or maybe the, the second option is maybe Paul at times like me and you is tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. To be ashamed that we love God. To be ashamed that we believe in new life. But as a famous pastor once said, what in the world makes us so ashamed of the gospel? Ever wondered that? Why are we ashamed sometimes? Like, what's so shameful about new life? What's so shameful about hope for the hopeless? Why are we so embarrassed about a God who loves humanity? Why are we so embarrassed about a God who we believe forgives? The reality is, church, there is nothing shameful about the gospel. But in contrast, it is the best message this world has ever known. There is only one man who has ever touched this earth who has ever been fully God, and his name was Jesus Christ. And we talk so much about the gospel because the gospel is the message of Jesus Christ. There's only one name you can build your life on, and that's Jesus. And there's only one message you can build your life on for eternal joy, and that is the gospel. Or as we often refer to it as, the good news that God came to bring humanity. And so for the next four weeks, we're going to be looking at this. And and as your pastor, I, I don't want you to feel condemned or you know, shameful. You're like, man, I've, I've probably never shared the gospel in my entire life. I, I don't engage the world. I, I don't want you to feel condemned because there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. And I want you to know I feel the same way, right? I'm not a natural evangelist, right? That's not my, my main spiritual gift. But I want us to engage in this together, And I want us to look at what it might look like to be a people and to be a church that is willing to engage the world around us with the best message the world's ever known and the only message of hope that is from God himself. That Jesus still saves people, that Jesus still makes dead people alive, that Jesus still raises us into a wonderful, eternal existence. What is so shameful about that? But we must begin here looking at what is the gospel. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. What is the gospel? The gospel also meaning good news. What is it? And I think to understand the gospel, you have to understand that it is the essence of what is Christianity. If you remove the gospel, the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus from what we believe, we become just another religion, We become just another tactic for behavior modification, right? If you remove the gospel, you no longer have Christianity. And yet we're often plagued with the question of if we're not talking about the gospel, then like what in the world are we talking about? Do more. Try harder. Take all of your own strength and and your own power and make your life better. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps and do really good. Because that was the message of Jesus. No. I think to understand the gospel, we need to know three simple, profound truths who God is, who you are, and what Jesus did. So let's begin with the best part who God is. When understanding what the gospel is, what the good news is, what you first must understand is that you live your life before a perfect and holy God. You live your life before a perfect and holy God. And we have to pause, we have to stop for a moment because like God is amazing and we just kind of brush over this thing and we miss the wonder of God. We, we don't get to enjoy God to the extent that we could because we, we don't think about it too much. We're too busy thinking about like our, the next time we're gonna get to our hobby or our job or all these kind of things that we have to do in life, right? But we don't stop and think about who God actually is. We live before an amazing, perfect, and holy God. In, in Genesis, we see that God is the creator and the sustainer of all life. So everything that there is was created by God, including you, including me, including the mountains. And the Bible says he created the heavens and the earth, the heavens, that word, in that, in that uh, position is actually used to describe the universe and everything that there is. So he says, God creates the heaven and the earth. So God is the creator. God made the world. It didn't just happen. It didn't just, it wasn't a random accident. There was a God who created this world and all the life and systems that function in the world. And then in 1 John 4, eight, we find this wonderful truth that that God who's a creator is also Love. It says God is love. God is the essence of love. This this love, this idea of love that we like and that we enjoy, God is that but infinitely that. He's so far beyond our ability to even comprehend love. He's just this essence of it. He just is it. Then in Romans 3, it gets even better. We find that God is righteous and God is just, meaning he is perfectly fair in the midst of his love. God shows no partiality. God is just. God God does not uh, give people what they do not deserve unless it comes to grace in Jesus. And then in Leviticus 11, God describes himself in the best word you could ever describe God by saying, I am holy. The word holy means utterly set apart. God is holy, like he's, he's the essence of every good thing that is truly good in the universe that he created. Every good thing derives its essence from God himself. We live under a loving, gracious, perfect, just, awesome God who is all-powerful, who is all-knowing, who is all-loving. When I stop and try and think about who God is and his holiness It's like my mind wants to explode and I almost am tempted to give up because it's too good and it's too grand and it's so much bigger than everything else that I normally think of. So we should be thankful we have a good God. We have an amazing God. We have an awesome God. We have a God who is utterly holy. But the problem is this world is broken and messed up and not what it should be. And that brings us to the problem, I think, that you and I and all of us are a part of. And the reality is, is that you are sinful. If you have your Bible, turn to Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. It says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, The spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we once all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. And I'll be honest. Let me take down the, the pastor garb for a moment. There's something in my spirit that like wants to back off of this point, right? I think all of us face that, don't we? Say, like, John, just be positive, you know? Just be uplifting. There are many churches probably who this would never be a point in a sermon to say you are sinful. To say that you are broken. There's probably many pulpits even in the world today that will not ever utter the verse Romans 3:23 when it says for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. See the Bible says all people are sinful, all have rebelled against God. All are selfish in light of God's perfect and amazing holiness. You see, the Bible says we have taken the body and the mind and the soul and the breath that God has given us and used it in open rebellion against him and his order in the world. You see, we know it's wrong to hate and yet we still do it, don't we? We know it's wrong to lust and yet we still do it. We know it's wrong to lie and yet we still do it. We know it's wrong to gossip and and steal, but we we do these things anyway, right? Right? Maybe you saw the the image this week that is just seared into everybody's mind of the war in Syria, the, the kid named Amran. I don't have a picture, but... Uh, It was this kid who, um, he's in Syria and his family's house was bombed and he was pulled out of the rubble, just like a five-year-old little kid, and he's covered in in dust and rubble and his head is bleeding and people are watching this. We've known about the war in Syria, but the second you see this kid named Amran, you're just like, oh my goodness, what is going on in this world? We see the brokenness and we see the pain and we see the sin and we make mistakes and and here's the here's the reality, here's the clarity. Sin, this is what's wrong with the world. This is it. This is the problem. All of our problems come back to this. It's simple. Everything comes back to this reality. In Mark chapter 1, Jesus says, um, he came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. He says to repent in this way of like if you're going to grab a hold of this new thing, you have to leave where you're currently at. If you're going to step into a new existence, you have to leave your old existence. If you want a new life, you have to give up the old life. If you want to enter holiness, you have to give up Sin. And yet we live in a world where a lot of people don't think that they are sinners. We don't think we're a part of the problem. We know there's bad people in the world and they're called ISIS, right? And, and everyone else is like relatively a good person. That's like the common thinking of our day, right? And yet I love it in Matthew chapter 9 when Jesus calls Matthew. Matthew was a tax collector. And, um, you know, I don't understand all the dynamics, but all I know is back in Jesus' day, tax collectors were like the low of the low, Right? Um, and, and in some ways, for good reason, because all tax collectors were, were, were generally considered to be kind of people that used the government to steal money from people. They were kind of a corrupt profession, right? And yet Jesus comes and calls this guy named Matthew. who's a tax collector. And then there's all these Pharisees and religious people are like, I can't believe he's hanging out with Matthew, right? Matthew's like a bad guy. And I love it in Matthew 9, uh, cha- uh, verse 10, he says, it says, And Jesus reclined at the table in their house, and behold, many tax collectors and sinners were reclining with Jesus. I love that. Just sinners, right? Just sinful people. Like, like imagine if you were in the story and you were just the, the sinners, right? You're like in a play, and it's like sinner one and sinner two, and so it's just, just bad people, right? And in our mind, we have an idea of who those people are, right? The sinners. There's us, there's other people, and there's like sinners. They're just the bad folk, right? And the Pharisees come, they say to the disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? Why does he hang out with them? And it says, but when he heard it, he said, those who are well have no need of a physician, But those who are sick, he said, I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In the same way, in the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus begins his ministry, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they will see God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. What the Bible says is the people who are honest about themselves and who are honest about their problems are the ones that will find freedom and healing from their problems. No one likes the perfect person, right? Perfect people annoy us. We're like Brady Bunch, like Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Remember, Marsha was like the good girl, right? And Brady Bunch, and no one liked Marsha. Because they knew deep down Marsha was just as messed up as everybody else. But like some of us, she was like really good at hiding it. And It's like this beautiful message that when we get honest about who we are, When we put down the fake facade of our self-righteousness, when we let down the guard, when we put we take off the, the cape that's hiding our brokenness that says that we're perfect, really good people and we're just mean well. When we take it off and when we get honest, that's when God enters our life and begins to heal us and make us a brand new, beautiful creation in Him. The ones who find this good news are only the people who are honest. Because we are sinners. We have fallen short of the glory of God. And then you have people who say things like, I'm not perfect, but I'm not that big of a sinner, right? I've thought this before. I'm a sinner, but I'm not a big sinner, you know? I'm a small sinner. That's what we say. I might make mistakes from time to time, but for the most part, I do really good stuff, right? Like, that's what we often say. Like, it's like people who say, like, well, how do you go to heaven? They're like, well, you know, if you do more good than you do bad, it's like if you are 60% good, that's good enough, right? It's like we, somehow we came up with this like false metric of like it's like this, this, this weighing measure that I've got to have more good deeds than bad. And yet the, the problem with that is that God is holy and perfect. And a way that I could think to maybe describe this, that we have to be perfectly cleansed, is imagine if your favorite food in the world was like lasagna, which for some of you it probably is, right? You really love lasagna, and I found out you really like lasagna. And I said, "Okay, I, I love you. I care about you. I want to bless your life. I'm going to make you the best lasagna you've ever had. Right? A big lasagna. Okay, it's going to be awesome. And so I, I make it the absolute perfect way to where it's like the best tasting lasagna you've ever had in your life. I mean, it's it's in this massive pan, and it's got that that golden brown crisp on the side, I like my little crispy, you know. So I, like on the edges." I love the side pieces and my wife likes the middle pieces so we have a great marriage and it works really really well and so it's like got the perfect golden brown crisp on the side and it's got the perfect mixture of like the pasta and like the homemade best sauce you could ever imagine it's got the right right breakdown of like the right meat just like you like it it's the best thing you've ever tasted I take it out of the oven, I bring it to your house the cheese is still boiling when I get it to your front door oh it's good it's the best thing you've ever had in your entire life And I bring this into your house. And it's a a real big one, you know, because you're going to eat on this for like three weeks. You know, it's going to be amazing, right? And this is perfect lasagna. So it's even good when you heat it up later on. Somehow like they've created this new thing where like it's good no matter what. It's like a first time every time, right? And I set this lasagna on your table and it is truly the best thing you have ever tasted and you're like man thank you so much for making the best dish I've ever had in my entire life and I'm like you're so welcome I love you I really hope you enjoy it but I need to let you know something there's just one little problem with it you're like what I'm like there's a roach in it and it's alive I'm like but don't worry about it he's small he's only about this big right it's only this big and Lazon is like this big so don't worry If you share it with like four people, you've only got a 25% chance of getting the roach. But I'm not that big of a sinner. Problem is God is holy. See, God is absolutely perfect. And so if we want to dwell with him, if we want to live in his world, we have to be so as well, except we're not. So So, what happens here? What happens now? Like here's the tension, right? Like here's, here's the problem. Here's the great divide. Here's what like humanity has asked for so long. How do we bridge this gap? And here is the amazing reality because we know who God is. We know who we are. But now you get to see what Christ has done. You see, God is holy, you are sinful, but here's the good news. Jesus is Savior. Jesus is your righteousness through faith. Let's read Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 4. It says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ." For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The reason why the message of the gospel has lasted and is growing and is thriving and is the most amazing thing in the world is because it cures our deepest longings And when you realize that Christianity is not just a religion, but it is a wonderful message to be believed, and when you begin to not just observe the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, but when you really begin to see with the eyes of your heart that the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus, each one of those things means a powerful thing for your life. This is when it gets amazing. This is when you're blown away. This, I can't believe it's this good. I can't believe I've done all these things and you're trying to tell me God's gonna make me completely new and completely perfect and that I'm, I can be a forgiven person and all I have to do is trust my life to Jesus. The answer is yes because his life on the cross, his life becomes yours. His righteousness, his beauty, his perfection covers you. In Christ, his righteousness becomes our righteousness. And as I stand before you, I'm a brand new man. Not by my works, but by his works. I'm not guilty of the things I've done anymore because Christ has paid for those things. I have his righteousness that covers me like the most beautiful robe you could ever imagine. His death is not just a symbol, but literally, the death of Christ becomes your death. It becomes your death. It becomes becomes the, the payment for your sins that you're no longer guilty because Christ has paid this for you. And then his resurrection becomes ours too. We proclaim in the gospel that anything that we struggle with can be overcome because God raised Christ and so he can raise me too. And I was thinking about it this week of of just like the the reality of it and like the instant reality of of believing in Jesus and the message of it. And I just wonder, man, if we really knew this deep down, it would change everything about us. We spend so much of our life dealing with these issues and not living in the victory of Christ. We fall to temptation because we forget about the power of God to overcome those things. Just when the thought pops into your mind that you have been freed of that sin, that you have been freed of this, that you're no longer chained to your former ways, all of a sudden this power rushes over you and you can live the life that God has called you to live. It's amazing. It's not just about trying to be a little bit of a better person so you can fit into society a little bit better. God is up to something so much greater than that in your life. And Christianity gets so hard when it becomes like, I'm trying real hard to follow God. I'm trying real hard. I'm, I'm gritting it up and I'm trying all my strength to be a better person. I'm trying so hard. And I keep failing. And we, we somehow believe the gospel. We get into the faith through believing in Jesus. And then we revert vi- right back to trying to be a really good, hardworking person. And the wonder of the gospel is that the moment that you believe in Jesus as the Savior of your life, you are clean. Instantly. You might say, but I'm not. I I sin all the time. I make mistakes. I, I do a bunch of bad stuff. I mean, you should see my life. And I say, you are clean. So as we begin to draw to a close, I was trying to think of a way to kind of explain this because the reality is is that what the gospel means is that we don't get what we deserve but we get what Christ deserves. That we don't get what we deserve but we get what Christ deserves in life. In the life of Jesus, if you live all of your life through the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus, you can live every single day of your life in complete victory because when you fall, He's paid for you. And when others come against you and try to lead you into condemnation, you don't buy into it because you know you're new in Christ. You know his righteousness has become your righteousness. And whenever you struggle and you can't overcome something, you remember that the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now dwells in us. This is the message that we proclaim to the world. And we proclaim this powerful message to everybody that wants healing, that everybody who wants freedom can find it in Jesus. I was reminded of a a story. A friend of mine in college told me this, and I've I've never forgot it. Uh, When she was about 10 years old, um, she was out with her family and. She was being really disobedient and really bad and um about as bad as it had ever been. She was just being super disrespectful and her dad just like a lost it on her and got really frustrated and um, was saying, man, when we get home, you're gonna get the worst whooping you have ever gotten in your life. I get an amen for whoopings, right? For kids, right? He <laughs> said, so you're gonna get the worst whooping you've ever gotten. And she said upon reflection, like she totally deserved it. She knew that she had been really bad. And so they finally got home, and, and she knew she was going to get it. You know, she was kind of afraid, or she was kind of thinking maybe he'll forget, but he didn't forget, of course. They, they never forget, do they? You know, they remember. And he said, I want you to go to your room, and I want you to wait for me. I'll be in there to give you your punishment. And so she, she went into her room, and she waited, uh, and she was so scared, and she was, she knew it was going to be bad, because she had been as bad as she'd ever been, so she's gonna get the worst whooping she'd ever gotten, and she knew she deserved it, and it's just frustrating. You ever been there? Like, you've, you you know, life is bad, and you know you deserve it. You ever been in that place? You're not even trying to fake it and blame somebody else. You know it's just you, and so she's waiting in her room, and she hears her dad begin to walk down the hallway, and she kind of begins to tear up a little bit. Her dad walks in the room, and He says, all right, you know what time it is. And he had kind of calmed down a little bit at this point. And he said, what you did was super disrespectful. And I want you to know that you deserve this punishment. And so he took off his belt, sat down on the bed, got her in the the right position. She begins to cry a little bit more because she knows what is coming and she knows it's really going to hurt. And in that moment, he, he uses it to show his daughter the love of the gospel. He Right before he begins to hit her, when she's tensing up, he, he stands up and she wonders what he's doing. And true story, she, he literally takes the belt that he was going to whip her with and he gives it to her. True story. And he, he proceeds to take off his shirt and to get down on his hands and knees, all fours. And he says, look, you were really bad today. You did a lot of bad stuff. And he was like, and it wouldn't be right of me to just let you get away with that. You deserve this punishment. The true story, he says, but I'm going to take it for you. He says, you're going to whip me 20 times and you can't go easy on me. So he gets on all fours. She has the belt and he's like, we're not leaving here until you hit me 20 times really hard on my back. I'm taking this whipping for you to show you the love of the gospel. And so she's like whipping him really hard and she's like sobbing and tears and she's like whipping him and whipping him and 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 I know it's only a 10-year-old little girl but even a 10-year-old little girl with a belt with no shirt on it hurts a lot right still hurts And after that he was in a ton of pain and he gets up and he she's crying and he's like that's how you understand what god did for you in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Do you know how loved you are? Does it sink into your heart or is it just kind of a, a cold observance? When you hear about what God did for you in Christ, does it really sink in or is it just kind of like, you know, it's kind of a nice thing. Do you realize the extent of the cross that Christ carried for you? He, he carried it and was, was whipped and was, was murdered. Was but he rose again to new life. And God offers that to everybody. And I don't know where you're at or what you believe or, or, or I don't know what you're expecting to be your righteousness when you stand before God at the end of you. I don't know what that thing is for you. I just pray it's not your works. I pray that when you stand before God and they say, why do you deserve eternity with me? You just say, Jesus. because it satisfies every longing and it makes us a brand new person. If you're not a believer today, this can be your moment. This can be your time. Maybe you are a believer and you're like, man, but I haven't been living in that power. You You can have a fresh start today. God does it all the time. There's nothing to be ashamed of in the gospel. And may we engage the world around us with the best message the world has ever known. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this message. God, we thank you for your love. God, we don't stand here as unloved people. We stand here as forgiven people. I pray if there's anybody in here, Lord, who who doesn't know you in that way, that today they would come to know you and that they would take that next step in baptism and proclaiming their faith and their bravery before you. Pray for all the believers in here this morning, God, that you just teach us to be brave in this world, God. God, your message is so wonderful. It's so life-giving. It's so freeing. I pray we'd be open to engaging the world around us because God, they need it. They need you just like we do. We love you and we thank you for all these things. We pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.